Everybody got their index card and cotton ball? If you don't have an index card and cotton ball, please raise your hand. You will be needing that today. So, when Pastor Linda had told me about uh, sharing today, probably about the next day that she shared with me, I got a word. And when I say word, I mean actually one word, not a, not a sermon. Um, and that's usually what happens. And it didn't change. And uh, I'm going to attempt to share about it today. And the Lord's going to take it and do what he wants with it. I'm free of it now. All I have to do is deliver what I've been working in, so... The rest of it is yours. Amen? So before we start, I'd just like to pray. <sighs> Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, you, God, know what we need right now. We need you, Father. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your spirit, Lord. We need your face. We need your voice. We need your heart to imbue us, Lord, and set us ablaze, Father. We have never needed it more, Lord. Make us aware, Father, of how dependent we need to be, Father. Make us aware, Lord Jesus, of how much we want to be close to you, Father. How much we've missed you, Lord. We just put your hand and your presence and your voice over this time. Bypass this humble vessel, Lord, and speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'd like you guys to do me a favor. We're going to jump right in. Um, I've got a great analogy for you. I think it's, probably, it's, it's just something that I love. Where it goes, it doesn't matter at this point. Um, on your cards, I have a question for you. So before I ask the question, everybody, if you would, please take a nice big breath. <sighs> Very good. One more, one more. On your card... What I'd like you to do, with one word, it's a one-word answer, I'd like you to write how you're doing. Whatever the first word comes to your mind, write that on the piece of paper, first line, on, on that little index card, how are you doing? Anybody need a pen? There are pens going around. Raise your hand. Okay, second question for you. This is, I want you to write down the first three things that come to your mind when I say to you, what do you need right now? What do you need right now? Write that down on the card. That's, that's the second question. So first question, one word answer, how are you doing? Second question, top three things. If you only get one, that's fine. You get ten, that's fine. But I just want, you just need three. I'm going to keep it very, very, very streamlined. What do you need right now? Everybody got that? Okay, I'm going to ask two more questions. You can write these down if you want to. It's up to you. They're not necessary for where we're going to go next and for what you're going to have to do at the end of this. Um, what state is your life in right now? Is there passion and fire in your life right now? Well, we've heard messages over the past few weeks and I'm kind of still in the same place, but it's, you'll hear it as it comes. Um, we've heard about our vineyard and 
We've heard about taking risks, and then we heard about repentance, and then we heard about gratitude. Um, throughout the entire time, we've been doing intercessory prayer, praying for our community, for our country. These are all the different things that have been happening all at the same time right now. In engaging in these things, how are we doing? I have to digress. I have to go to talk about me first before I even touch this. Um, you know, you think about needs, and initially, oh, well, actually, no, I'm going to jump back. Can I have that first slide? My answer to the question of what we need is fire. We desperately need fire. The problem is, is that we don't know it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a pretty straightforward illustration on that. This is all stuff that I love, so if I lose it a little bit, just roll with it because I'm, I'm in my element right now. Um, I have been making fires for the past two weeks, every day. I've been making them in every way possible, friction with matches, rubbing boards together, and I've watched them and studied them. Um, I'm not a pyro, but I've learned a few things, and I'm going to share some of that stuff with you today. Can we go to the next slide? We're going to jump into some scripture, and we're going to come back to it. You guys have that next slide? Nope, that's coming. All right. We're going to start off in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Just bear with me. I have to lay the groundwork for where we're going today. Well, it's a Bible day, which is a good thing. Chapter 12, verse 49. I'm sorry, 24, verse 49. My mistake. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, what this is, this is Jesus' last commandment to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. So they're gathered together, and this is what he's saying to them. This is the last thing that he says to them. We're going to jump over now into Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I'm going to slide over to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem in a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Aphius, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brothers. I'm going to jump over one more and we'll get into this. Going into Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There, they, there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. 
Now, this is really, really cool. When you're, reading, when you're reading stuff like this, all right, Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. Now he's about to ascend to heaven. The last thing that he says to his disciples, now, these guys have been through a lot, but as far as things, amazing things to see, they just saw, like, the top. Like, he rose from the dead, and now he's going up into the sky. They had plenty of stuff to go talk about. They had plenty of stuff to go preach about and talk about the power of. But what God said, what Jesus' last commandment was, don't go anywhere don't do anything else. I need you guys to stay put and wait. You need to wait for my fire to come. He told them what was coming. They'd never experienced it, so they didn't know what it was. But when it hits, you kind of know when it hits. When the fire hits, you kind of know when the fire hits. Now, this is in a good scenario. I think one of the, pro- one of the, one of the problems that we're dealing with is our state we don't understand what we're in. We don't understand what's happening to us right now. And I want to use um, an analogy for you. If I was in the... I, I, like, I like hiking and getting out into nature and whatnot. Um, but I am... Uh, I'm not an avid outdoors person, but I am an avid watcher of those programs. And when I get out, I try to do the things that they, they try to do within reason. I'm not crazy. Um, But going out into the wilderness, one of the biggest things that you will find, the biggest killers, one of the biggest things that people um, succumb to, we can go to that next slide, is something called hypothermia. What is hypothermia? Hypothermia means that your body's core temperature drops. It plummets. And it's it's, it's very insidious. 98.6 is your body temperature. You drop down to 97. It begins. You drop down a little bit lower. It gets worse and worse. And let's talk about some of the traits of hypothermia. You will find, when the slides come up, guys, it's fine. You will find that as you're progressing through hypothermia, one of the first things you'll do is you'll start to shiver. We've all had the shivers. We've woken up, gotten on the floor. Ooh, the floor is cold, and we start to shiver. Why? Because the heat in our body, stepping on the cold floor, that cold floor drew heat out of our body. Now, when we first wake up is a perfect example of that because there's no fuel in us. So we start to uncontrollably shiver. And what the body is doing is it's contracting. It's calling, causing involuntary muscle movement to try to generate heat to the core. At the same time, blood in our body is being pulled from our extremities closer to our heart to keep this pumping and working properly. Because that's happening, as we progress through hypothermia, you will find that muscle coordination gets a little bit off. We become physically more and more uncoordinated. Our mental faculties deteriorate. Our decision-making deteriorates. These are all areas... Oh, great. Um, these are all areas of things that are actually happening during a hypothermic state. Paleness. The blood from your face is dropping off now. And fatigue. You're getting tired. Why are you getting tired? Because your body is trying to get you warm, and you don't have the stuff in you or around you or the resources to rewarm your body up. This is the most insidious thing about hypothermia. People that are going in it, if I'm watching, Vanna, come on up here real quick. You're the first person I saw. I'm gonna, I got to use you. If Vanna and I are out in the wilderness, and we're hiking, and I'm, say, I'm looking over at Vanna, and Vanna starts shivering, and I'm saying to Vanna, hey, buddy, um, you okay? And he just says, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm strong. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Right? He's, he's fine. Oh, he's good. And he will keep denying that and denying that and keep shivering. After a while, thank you, Van. After a while, the shivering will stop. He'll just get tired. And I'll say to Vanna, Vanna, you want my coat? 
Something going on with you? Do, you need, do, you need, do we need to stop and build a fire? No, no, let's just keep going. Are you sure, Vanna? Well, now he's tripping. Now he's actually falling around. Now we, I'm not going to keep using Vanna's name, now we are falling around. Now we are making bad decisions. I don't know where to find heat. I don't know where it is that I can find life in me anymore. So now I'm running over to this thing. And now I'm running over to that thing. And now I'm running over to that thing. And now my actual body, and I'm talking about us right now, now instead of me just shivering, I'm just running around doing a thousand different things that have no meaning trying to get warm, trying to find something that matters to me in my life. Is that crazy? In the hypothermic state, when you're engaging somebody, the most common thing that is said is, leave me alone. People in severe hypothermia want to be left alone. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. They want to go off by themselves lay and lay down, and they want to sleep. 99% of every Everest death, Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest, is somebody wandering off the trail. Is somebody saying, I'm just going to sit for a second. No matter how much the other people plead with them, they sit or they walk and they die. They freeze to death because once you go to sleep in the cold, it's over. Is that not our state right now? We're tired. We're worn out. We come to church and we get the sparks. And th- this, is, this is something that I, I, I just love. Um, It's not for um, a lack of fire that we don't experience it in our lives. You know, we get sparked virtually every time we come to church. We engage in worship. The sparks are always there. Jesus is always lighting them. It's here and present for us all the time. The problem is that we don't know how to nurture the fire that we've been given. The disciples could have gone out and preached about what Jesus was talking about, preached about what they had seen, but they didn't have power. They could have talked about it. They would have talked about some amazing things that actually happened. It wouldn't have been gossip. Other people saw it. They could have talked about that. But Jesus said, do not go. Do not go do anything else until you get my fire, until I imbue you with power. And so many times, and this, I'm speaking for myself, we deal with stuff and it's like, well, why is nothing changing? You know, my, in my beginning prayer life, you know, if I was going to say my first three needs, I'd say, well, I, I really need a house. And then I'd say, I really need to make more money. And then I'd say, I really want more time. Those would probably be my, 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 my top three in the beginning. But as you keep praying, and, I, and for myself, this is just me, and I got some backup in here as well, uh, those priorities shifted. See, my issue, my prayer right now, this is me, is I want fire. The Bible talks about it. Seek me first, and I will give you everything else. I want fire. I want power in my life. I want to light up a room. Let me ask you guys a question. Hypothetical scenario. You're in your house. Picture a nice, quaint, beautiful house. Fill that house with whatever is most valuable to you. Family, friends, children, things that you bought, whatever it is. Fill that house with that stuff. Across the street from you, so here's your house, across the street from you is this huge, beautiful, ornate firehouse. Firemen going in and out of it all the time. This is the antithesis of what I'm talking about, but it's the same premise. Your house goes on fire. You call for the fire department. You're on the lawn screaming to the fire department, come help me, my house is right there, it's burning. It's going down in flames. 
everything that belongs to me, everything that I've ever cared about, I have no way of saving it. Come save it. And the fire department guys were asleep. And the people with the water and the people with the life to save what is, what is yours, the people that have the ability to pray or speak into your life are asleep. That is us. We are the fire department. And if we don't have the fire, if we don't have the water, if we don't have what it is that we are required to have in this day and age and time, well, why would anybody look at the church? I wouldn't trust them either. Why would I? They're not living any different than I am. I don't see them. I don't see any light in that guy's life. I don't see any heat coming off of that person. He's not very humble or very nice. He's not very generous. Our state is the most important thing. I have to digress one more time. Great book. Um, The author is Lawrence Gonzalez. He writes a thesis statement on why people survive, who lives, who dies, and why. Bottom line that he says is that a four-year-old, four-year-old, five years old and below, right? And then over here we have everybody else, 12, 13, 14, military trained, uh, survivalist, um, uh, sniper, professional athletes, all the way down here, four-year-old, Super wilderness guy. That four-year-old has a better chance of surviving and being found in the wilderness than everybody else on this list. It's fact. Why? Because the four-year-old hasn't organized his life in in, in a model where he says, well, I have to do all this other stuff. The four-year-old says, this is what I need. I am cold. Let me get under a tree. Let me get into the bark of a tree or something like that. Let me just get warm. A four-year-old will say, I'm thirsty. I will drink that water, whether it's got bacteria or whatever, but it's going to keep that kid alive. A four-year-old will eat the berries of the tree. A four-year-old will not run around trying to find something to do. He will make himself comfortable and stay put. Everybody else will burn out. They'll burn calories. They'll get themselves further lost because they're not attending to what is actually going on in them. Stay put, city on the hill. Stay put. You know, fire is not the church's responsibility. It's yours. Jesus gives us fire. What we do with it is our responsibility. If I just want to throw it off to the curb, well, guess what? I'm just throwing it off the curb. Every time I come back to church, I'm getting sparks, and I'm, ooh, ooh, I feel, I feel, I feel a little bit good. This, this, that was good. That was great. That was a great message. But I'm not doing anything with it. You say, well, what do you do with it? Well, you meditate on it. You, you, you have to abrade it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Where are my cotton balls? Ah, here they are. Okay. Fire needs a few things to thrive. Fuel, air, and heat. Fuel, wood, more to burn. Air, heat. Now for us, a lot of times, you know, the question comes up to, well, what is heat? When I was playing with my little fire kits that I was making up in the woods, um, it was friction. We need friction. And when I, when I was reading this, because this all kind of happened, uh, when I was reading this and I'm looking at the, the disciples, um, and they're, they're in the upper room and they're praying, and coming into one accord, you know, their prayers were fined. They kept doing it. And there was something that was being abraded. The atmosphere was being abraded. You see, they had their organized, well, I'm going to go speak to there because you guys, I can speak way better than that guy can. No, they came into one accord 
of prayer and saying, well, we need whatever this thing that he's talking about, fire, to come in. They prayed and prayed and prayed and waited and prayed and prayed and prayed and waited and prayed and prayed and prayed prayed until the Lord met them. One One of the great themes with the Bible is that God is complete. He doesn't leave anything out. And what he's working over here, he's doing over here. And we're going to go into that a little bit too. So, what do we do with that state? Oh, I'm sorry. I want to talk a little bit about these guys. Moravians. A hundred years of prayer, or a hundred years of fire. Um, In 1727 little town, uh, Saxony town in Germany, a group of Moravians started uh, and felt led to start this prayer meeting, 24 hours. It was 24 men and 24 women that got together and said, and, and designated an hour of the day, and they started doing that, praying and interceding. This lasted for 100 years. 100 years. Not a week, 100 years they did this. Obviously, people took shifts. Obviously, generations took shifts. Now, I just, this is something that was really weird. I was reading about this. Pastor Linda, uh, you know, she's right on point with the books. Um, and I just love you. I hope you know that. You're just awesome. You give, you give so freely. It needs to be said about you. It's true. So I'm reading about the Moravians. And I'm reading about Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. And something for me, and I didn't make this connection uh, initially, but I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at two different things at the same time, and I'm looking at dates. And the golden summer started in August 27th of 1727. People stood up. They said, I will get on the wall. I will take an hour here. I will take an hour there. They did it in teams, and they prayed. This is in Germany. In that same year... A few months later, October 29th, 1727, in New England, an earthquake hit, followed by a series of just as intimidating and scary aftershocks. What happened during that time is, because it was a time of uncertainty, and things were falling apart, literally, all around the people, people started going back to church. A minister by the name of Reverend Stoddard His church in New England, in particular, was flooded very heavily. And the more that these things going on, the more the uncertainty went on, the more the people came in. A layperson in that church said it this way, and this is just, again, God is complete. What Jen spoke about, you prayed about today, the word that came across, this is all confirmation, so I'm just just, just doing what I have to do. He said, a layperson said, God has, by the late amazing earthquake, laid open my neglect before me that I see no way to escape, but by fleeing to Christ for refuge. People kept filling Sodder's church. In 1729, his pupil, his grandson, and the assistant pastor became the senior pastor. That man's name was Jonathan Edwards. During this 100-year period of prayer, we have Edwards, we have Whitfield, we have the Wesley brothers, the Methodists, William Wilberforce and Hodge, all lived, ministered during this time period, all while prayer, 24-7, around the clock, on the other side of the country, is going on. Let me ask you a question. 
And this is something that you guys are going to notice, and this is going to lead us to our thesis statement today. I can drop magnesium sparks from up here as much as I want. It's not going to do anything to the carpet. By the time it gets to here, it's just a piece of cold metal. See, now, if I take my cotton ball, and this is one of the things with fire here, if I take my cotton ball and I abrade it, and by that I'm saying I'm pulling it apart, I have to make this airy so that air can get into it. The cotton ball itself is very dry. It's very, very dry. See, now, if I do that and I really pull it apart a little bit and I bring my sparks really, really close, if I bring my fire really, really close to my, my tinder source, I can drop sparks on this that will eventually catch. And when they do, a spark will hit this. And what I'll have to do is I'm going to have to protect it. I'm going to have to put my hands around it. And I'm going to have to slowly breathe life on this. And it's going to, it's going to catch up pretty quick. From here, I'm going to have to take this, and it's going to be burning, and I'm going to have to bring this over to my wood pile. And on top of this, I'm going to have small embers. And above them, I'm going to have something a little bit more. Now listen, this is very vital. If I don't get this fire to work, I will freeze to death. That's just the bottom line. This is, this is my salvation. This is my life in the wilderness. Now, as I get and the fire grows, I'm going to be able to put larger stuff on here. I'm going to be able to put logs. I'm going to be able to put some wet stuff on here too. And when I'm starting off, I need dry. I need it to be condensed. I need it to be, I need it to be hot. But I need that heat to be strong. And I need it to be consistent. I need that heat to be strong and consistent for the fire to take off. An interesting thing happened the last time uh, Brother James was up here. He was talking about repentance. And not knowing exactly where this fire thing was, I'm going to go back to my note. Because I thought that this was just pure God. For me, anyway. He speaks that way and he just teaches me a lesson. Like, yeah, see, I got you. He said, when he's talking about fire, and I wrote down here, sin is like a wet log on the fire. It's my notes from two weeks ago. And then I thought about Edwards and the, the accounts that Edwards and Whitfield talk about, about the repentance and the things that went on during that revival. You know what happens when you put a wet log on a hot fire? Smoke. Smoke. You know what happens when you see smoke? You know there's fire. When you see smoke, you know there's fire. We can't get our logs dry. We live in a wet world. We live in a world of sin. We are not devoid of sin, or else that would defeat the purpose of Christ. The purpose of Christ, though, is to put that sin, put ourselves on that fire so that smoke can come up and people know, wait, over there is fire. Over there I can get warm. We poo-poo it and say, oh, this and oh, that, and we keep ourselves hidden. Well, if you keep a wet log hidden, it doesn't dry out. The only way a wet log dries out is you put it to the fire. You put it into the light. And that's where we're at right now. That's our state. We need to get fire underneath us. Sorry, I'm all over the place. In talking about fire and going into some of this stuff, You think about some of the things that we're dealing with today. We had a rough two weeks here on Long Island, right? 
Anybody had a rough two weeks? Guess what happened in those two weeks? And this is something that I can, I can say up here. I can't say it in private circles. Um, I wish my power went out. My, my power really didn't go out. I, I didn't get hit that hard. I, part of me really did. You want to know why? Because when I was a kid during Hurricane Gloria, the power was out for two weeks. And I don't remember everything that happened during the Hurricane Gloria. I just remember being very happy. The distractions were gone. The family stayed close. Guess what? All of the things that were neat and tidy in our world, all of our agenda stuff, it all went to the wayside to wait for gas, didn't it? All the stuff that we had to do, all the, all the places that we wanted to go, that all went to the wayside because we had to wait for gas. We had to get places. We had to, we had to go to work. We had to heat our homes. The gas, the fuel, became the priority real quick. Before the storm, hearing that the storm was coming, it became very, very apparent that we needed to make sure we had food in our fridges. You know, we saw that it was coming. We heard about it. Oddly enough, every news channel was actually saying the same thing, right? We saw this. But our neat, organized, and tidy lives, all the things that we said were very, very important, all kind of went to the wayside when it came down to what was really important. What was really the crux of what it is that we're about. How do we survive this? Well, one of the things, honey, is we're going to need fuel, and we're going to need food, and uh, lots of blankets, because you don't know how long the power is going to be out. Some of you guys are still without power. So I'm going to go to the cross now. And these are just some examples. And I think that this helps us when we're talking about our state, because if in our state we're thinking that fire is just neat and organized, and that I can just do it anytime I want, we're probably not going to have much of an uh, intention toward it. So I want to bring up these two stories, and I'm prefacing them, and then I'm going to end, um, but I think, they're, I think they're so crucial. And it's important to turn the switch off. We, we, some of us are already thinking, oh, I have to make a fire this way, or some, some of us are thinking, oh, this is okay. Some of us are thinking, I just want to get out of here, this is really boring. Hear this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Daniel 3. So these three guys tell Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to be bowing down to some kind of golden thing. Look, that's not for us. Well, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. Okay, throw us into the fiery furnace. They get thrown into the fiery furnace. On the way to the fiery furnace, the two guards that are supposed to throw them into the fiery furnace get consumed by fire, and they're in the fiery furnace. And we know that when the king looks into the furnace, there's four of them, right? Everybody's with me so far? I'm paraphrasing? Okay. And now, if we slide over to um, Elijah, the altar of fire death match, which, I, which is just a great story. I've heard it, and then I read it this time. I'm like, ooh, this is really coming to life. Probably because that's in front of a fireplace. Okay. Um, Elijah calls out the followers of Baal, or Baal. Baal or Baal? Baal. He calls out the follower, followers of Baal and says, listen, I challenge you. You cut up a bull, I'm going to cut up a bull. You set up your wood and light that without fire. You call down fire and make that ignite, and I'm going to do the same thing. Let's see who wins. He gives them a day into the next day. Nothing happens. They're praying, doing whatever, dancing. I don't know what the heck they were doing. It was ridiculous. I, I think it would have been funny, quite honestly. I think Elijah was laughing because I think he knew what was coming. Elijah says, hey, listen. Before I even go, I'm going to put this wood down and you know, I'm going to cut up this bull. You know, he's there cutting the leg off, you know, put it in there, whatever. Listen, just, <laughs> you know what, dig a trench around this thing. Hold on, this is going to be, dig a trench around this thing. Listen, you over there, I want you to throw a bucket of water over this. 
No, you know, we need more. You throw a bucket of water over this. No, I think we should do a third one. Throw a bucket of water over this so that it's, it, not only is the wood soaked and the sacrifice soaked, but the ring around it should be pooled up with water. I want, I want that much water on this area. And he calls down fire onto that, consuming everything, including the water in the trench. So this led me to something, and it was really cool. How, how would you set fire to water, wet wood. See, if I took a torch and I stuck that into that fire, it would go out. I mean, I could probably light that fire, I could, with like 20 torches. You know, I'd start it apart, dry out the wood, and gradually move it over, keep breathing on it. It would be a work of art to get that flame lit and make all that in fire. This is the thesis statement that I came to, and you guys are free to disagree with me, um, but this is just how I'm seeing the Lord these days, and I, I don't, I don't, I, it just amazes me. I, I just think that God is hotter than fire. Jesus must be hotter than fire. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were supposed to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, they're walking into the furnace. Now, not, they're not in the furnace now. They're not in the furnace. The furnace is there. They're walking in, being ushered in by these guards or whatever. And in going into the furnace, the heat was so intense that it killed these guys. Now, I just wonder, and this is just how I picture it. I don't know what the furnace looks like, but this is just how I picture it. People must have been throwing wood in that thing. I think that the Spirit of God was so upon them that when they got ready to get into the heat, God got hotter. I think that when they went into that fiery furnace, I think that they took that step of faith and it was so imbued inside of them that their flames took up because the flames of fire weren't hot enough to even touch or change the dynamics of God, what is my little cotton ball fire in comparison to the sun? It's nothing. Elijah called down fire onto wet wood because God was hotter than fire. He was able to ignite water, wet soaked wood like that and consume it. That's how powerful and how awesome God is. Now, here's the invitation. If we go to John the Baptist, John the Baptist I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Say it. Everybody say it. Fire. No, no, it's so weak. Fire. Again. One, two, three. Fire. Again. One, two, three. Fire. He will baptize you with fire. This is the offering that we've been given. This is the inheritance that we're talking about. When we come to the table and talk about the cross, and it's very beautiful. Because fire is beautiful. This is an offering of fire. This is an offering of fire in your belly. This is an offering of power in your life. And so many times I think we distance ourselves because we don't know what the tangible is. Well, what does that mean for me? What, am I going to go out preaching now? Maybe you're not going out preaching now. Maybe you are being called to preach out now. Maybe it's just saying yes to something. I don't know. That's your fire. I'm not responsible for your fire. I am in the sense that I'm supposed to take care of mine. You see, if we're all in the room and I've got a bunch of ice cubes and ice cubes and a couple fires, guess what? You're going to snuff me out after a while. I have to keep drawing in wood. i got to keep drawing in other fires to make my blaze go up. If God, during the Moravian period in Germany, started a fire, that started off very small, small community nobody had ever heard of. 
And just 24 people, 24 men, 24 women, 48 people got together and said, well, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for one hour. I'm just going to pray. I'm committing to pray for just one hour. If there in 1727, they could do that at the same exact time that all this other stuff, I'm sorry, going back, all these other people came up. Now, when we talk about these other people, when we talk about this great awakening, we're talking about fire on earth, healing, salvation, businesses changing, communities changing immediately, walking in and being struck, not even to a building, but into a field. That's what we're talking about. Is it possible that the God who is hotter than fire could send an ember from Germany over to some place in America, over to England, over to some other place in the world? Is it possible that the God that is hotter than fire is calling us to something more? Because we think about it and we look at it in our finite minds. And it doesn't matter whether you are a big bangist or a creationist because God spoke and there was a big bang. Done. End of story. But the God who spoke life into stars and supernovas, things that heat us from millions and billions of miles away, is it possible that God, that our God, that our Lord Jesus Christ is hotter than fire? That he wants to offer us that type of life in our circumstances? We're going to close up here. He who burns hotter than fire lives in you. He wants to refine you and imbue you with power. Your fire is your own, but it also affects others. Your family. Your friends. Your workspaces. Your children your grandchildren. We know Edwards' name and Whitfield and these great men, not because they accomplished some huge, magnificent thing on earth, but they did in the kingdom. And was it, was it these men, was it these names that did something amazing? No. They simply allowed the fire to fall. They said yes. There was seminary school. There was Princeton, there was Oxford. There was stewardship under leadership. There was a process that had to go on to prepare them for what was coming. They didn't know what was coming. No one could tell them what was coming. This is the first great, great, you know, like, this is the first great awakening. How in the world would they know? They have nothing to equate that to. The Moravians had no idea what they were doing. I honestly believe that they were all connected. I think God is complete. And he sustained fires in all over the world, probably from a simple spot of prayer. And it probably started even smaller than that. A grandma, a grandpa saying a prayer for the times that they were living in. Who knows? Jesus has already done the work. What will you do with the fire that he has given you? You can start that song. Just in the law. My prayer is for fire. My prayer is for my family to have fire. My prayer is for my church to have fire. My prayer is for my community to have fire. My prayer is for my country to have fire. And I am not unwavering it or saying it in any kind of eloquent way. That is my prayer. I don't want my children to look at their father and say that I didn't live the life that I told them to live. 
I don't want to go before my holy Lord and say that I didn't do the best when I, and I didn't say yes or I didn't submit myself to what it was that he was teaching me, how it is that he wanted to refine me because you will be refined. You will be refined. But like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, once you're there, you cannot be touched. The periphery things that do not matter, they do not matter. Let them fall away. Let the smoke rise from your life. Let it be seen. That's an important quality. That's an important aspect. Let it be seen. We talked about risk, forgiveness, and repentance, gratitude. Did you share that with anybody? Where are the risks that you took? How many people know about them? Where are the areas that you're looking for repentance? Who knows about the areas that you're dealing with? Is there any wood for the fire that you're building? Is there? This is an invitation. Ushers, you can please come on up. This is an invitation. And when I see the table, I'm always so torn and touched because I can't comprehend what it is that he did. Seriously. I understand it, but I can't comprehend it. I want to gradually and more and more in my Christian walk, I want to, when I take the table and I take the sacraments, understand that I am taking in fire. That's in here, and I have to cultivate it. I have to cultivate it. I have to rub up. Friction causes pieces of you to fall off. Friction causes heat. It's not always pleasant, but it generates fire. It does. I've done it. Lord Jesus, we just pray over this moment right now. We don't want to be cold anymore. We want your fire. We want your fire, Lord Jesus, in our lives. We want your fire to imbue us and empower us, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, would you have your way in us right now? Give us your fire, Father. Spark us once again, Lord. Lord, that we would protect it. Lord, that this message would not fall on deaf ears. It's not for one, it's for many. It's for this community. It is a message for right now in the times. It is cold out there. It is cold out there. And I need, we need fire. Come now, Lord Jesus. Would you have your way in us right now? I'm going to put up some homework. Homework. Next slide. No? All right. Homework. You all got cotton balls. Go home, invite some friends, and make a fire. It's your homework for the week. Don't use a match, at least for the first 10 minutes. If you can't get going in the first 10 minutes, use a match. If, after using that match, your fire goes out, try again. If it goes out again, then you may use an accelerant. But try to do this without any lighter fluid or gas. Try to do it small. Watch it. Nurture it. Build it. When your fire is going, with a few people that you trust, take out your cards. Talk about what you wrote down. Just a few things. Whatever notes you took. We have to nurture this stuff. We can't walk out and just forget about it. We can't walk out and just go back to business as usual. We need follow-up. If I start a spark, I have to follow it up with more wood, more, more embers. If you've got a bunch of people you got to meet, make a bunch of fire nights. Babysitters, you know who you are, raise your hand, put out your services. 
But seriously, let's do this. You all got a cotton ball. That's your perfect timber. Take it. Take it with your spouse if you want to. Break it up. Make it real porous. Make it real soft. You go on YouTube, you can find a thousand ways to start fires without it. If you can't get that going, one match. Light it. Feed it. Nurture it. Get it up. And then, sit and share. Pray. Pray for each other's cards. Amen? Amen.